My name's Nick. I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster. I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran, a dad to three wild boys, and a husband to my wife, Crystal, and a coffee enthusiast. From a family in a small town in Missouri, we started with the simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee. Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. So we did. And we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends. Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted, and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up, motivate you, and relax you. We hope you enjoy our coffee. Be bold, be humble, be Kevlar. And you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com. And for listeners of the Dig Bible Podcast, use the code, all caps, DIG20, whenever you're checking out to get a 20% off discount. Enjoy. Hey, this is Trey Smith with the Dig Podcast. God bless every last one of you on the other side of the screen. We should read our Bible as men digging for buried treasure. The Bible is the world's most popular enigma. Its secrets lost to cultures beneath the sands of time. Or is it? It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. God wants you to seek, to read his word, to to look for that knowledge. He wants you to do that. And the people at Nicaea, they like chopped out 80 books of the Bible. We need to bring those back. More bad guys in this thing than a Bruce Willis. Oh yeah. Let's back it up here. I, I love the intro to your show because it's exactly right. There's these nuggets of gold in his word. As you guys always sign the show, you, you gotta dig it. Dig it. Show us your nuggets. God, our creator, lies outside of time and space and matter. I feel like God's going to be like, hello, McFly. You ain't got it so far, then. There are secret societies think that they are the descendants of the giant. I mean, isn't isn't this exciting? I mean, you read it, it's like, wow. The Nephilology Roundtable. But these angels were taken to help immediately. Do not pass gold, do not collect $200. You're out of the game. Dirty hands means clean theology. Can you dig it? Welcome back, guys and gals. And can't forget about the long distance, pals. We back. We are back in the saddle again. Without poor little Steven this time. He, he's on his way to uh, grandmother's house over the river. Through the woods. <laughs> He's better watch out for the big bad wolf. Big bad wolf. <laughs> now, he's gone up, uh, up to Michigan to visit his family, so he will be missed. And pop, you have to be the back it up guy today. 
Hey, back it up. <laughs> You'll be Sir Mix a lot today. Or, well, no, wait a minute. What was his name? Was it Juvenile? I have no idea. Back in the day, the rapper that had that song. I, I don't listen to rap. You never Sorry. did? No, not really. I was a little gangster. In high I mean, school. I mean, I listened to like some stuff my cousin played or whatnot, but I never strived or sought after it under my own free will. No, I was in high school. I was totally uh, gangster rap. I, I was, was a country guy. I was Eminem. I had the baggy pants and the shirt down to my knees and the big no limit chain at my belly button. Oh yeah, I was wow. gangster. We had a name for that. What, wankster? No. Close, though. <laughs> we'll just leave that one alone. <laughs> yeah, I was a country man, country boy, I guess, and was listening to all the country music and got into some more rock and roll slash heavy metal, not none of the screaming stuff, but towards high school. Yeah, my musical tastes, though, rap. honestly, are, are all over the place. If you ever listen to, like, my my playlists or whatever on my phone you'd think that i'm just manic or something it goes from classic country to classic rock bob seger you know yeah, I like the stones that. Yeah. uh to tupac and biggie 90s <laughs> gangster rap little five finger death punch I'm, i mean i'm all yeah, over the place yeah. man i just like good music well five finger death punch i don't think was around when we was in high school were they no no that was later oh, yeah that was like my army days. Yeah. And kill switch engage. Yeah. I went from bluegrass to saliva. <laughs> Which a I was weird, never like a, weird a really mix. big bluegrass guy, but uh no, I'll get down some Tyler Childers. Yeah. I like the nineties the best. I think I yeah, 'cause that's what we grew up in. Yeah. You know, I mean you can't beat uh George uh, straight. He's the king of country. Oh, yeah. I'm carrying your yeah. love with me. All them good there ain't classics. Like I grew up George Strait. My uh, stepdad, they went to, him and my mom went to watch him one time. His little farewell tour or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> he said he's, I mean, the band, and they're, they're playing like awesome, you know. He said, but were they, they're so old. He said, watch them. They were not lively at all. He said, <laughs> Watching them, you know, I mean, they was playing, rocking out and everything. But he's like, it's like they're sitting there and he just kind of imagined like in their head, they're like, I wonder if I took my Geritol or not. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, you know, just strumming away. Just like, oh, I'd rather be in bed right now. Yeah. I missed my blood pressure <laughs> pill this morning. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> I got to take it easy. <laughs> well. Music um, memory lane right there. Yeah. I, uh. I did something funny, something stupid. Oh, oh, do share. Yeah, well, I did a couple. I did a couple things stupid. <laughs> so I got a flagpole out front. We'll start with the really stupid. I come home one day. The flag, a little old farm all tractor underneath it. Flags, old glory, and we'll just say a yellow one was laying on my tractor. I was like, uh oh. So, for the past two years, when I swapped the flag, I was like, I need to change this string. This flag, flag string is getting pretty, getting pretty brittle. Yeah, it broke. <laughs> it's a 25-foot flagpole out of the ground. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. That little, I'm about to do some sketchy. <laughs> yeah, that happened yesterday. I laid my 28-foot ladder up against it. Oh, no. Luckily, the neighbor was here to hold the bottom. Well, climbed up there, got the, got the string, you know, tied into the top and pulled it down. Well, when I looked down to come back off the ladder, I was leaning four feet past the base. It was bent over that far. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, <laughs> I come down that ladder faster than I thought. <laughs> I mean, I was like, oh, this ain't good. <laughs> I'm like, the, the ground didn't move, did it? Because, you know, it's in a buried in a big old concrete hole you know it's like it's, it's like a three foot ball and it's raining the ground like the past oh yeah three months every day so. yeah i looked down i was like oh <laughs> but anyhow the less stupider thing i did so i ordered them chicks right we yeah. talked about that last time so i ordered them on the fifth sunday go online ordered them it said pick your uh you know pick your date that were you you know when you want them shipped it said tuesday the 7th monday would be 6th tuesday the 7th i was like shoot yeah i mean that's quick that's a quick turnaround ordered thursday comes around i'm like where are these chickens at because i ordered a set i ordered 80 before and the first box got here maybe two or three died in it and then the second box got here, and all but one died because they were in the mail for too long, yeah. right? So I'm like, and it, I mean, it was just horrible. You know, I was like, oh, no. Would you get refunded in a situation like that? You're supposed to, but that was through the lovely tractor supply, so I won't buy order through the mail. They gave me, like, partial the money for it. So we ordered more chickens from this site that i ordered here it's the chick chick hatchery i think dot com or something it's amish people up in i think michigan michigan or pennsylvania i think it's michigan well, Pen- but uh pennsylvania that's yeah amish country i can't Lancaster. i can't remember it's up that way somewhere but uh so i'm like surely they should be here by tomorrow so i took off work friday because you know they're gonna call and i'm have to leave work Drive 45 minutes back home to the post office and get them. So I said, I'm just going to take off. Nothing showed. I called the post office about 9 o'clock. I said, you got any chicks there? Yeah, hold on. We got some chicks. What's your address? And I told them. You no. looking for 18 to 24-year-old range? Brunette, yeah. blonde? <laughs> no, wrong kind of chicks. <laughs> wrong kind of chicks. I'm I'm happily married man. Don't need no more of those no, chicks. No, no, no. I don't see how David did it. King David, all them wives. Oh, one's yeah. enough. One's enough. But uh, I mean, I, I mean, I have a yeah, I have a hard time keeping up birthday of her and the boys, much less more girls and more kids. You can no, not not happening. But anyhow, I call the post office. Yeah, we have some back here, but they're not going to you. I said, okay. I was like, well, maybe Saturday. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna call, I'm gonna email. I call. Well, I called them. Well, they don't, and they're not Amish. They're they're uh, 
We'll sell their Mennonites. Yeah, they're Mennonites, right? And they used they actually used like tractors and yeah, electricity yeah. and stuff. So uh, I call them and it says, you know, you've reached the chick factory. Renee will get the phone. If you have any questions, email us at chicks at the chickfactory.com. Okay, cool. I get an email Saturday. Um, you selected March the 7th for the delivery date. I was like, yeah, March. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Which it's February, you know, yeah. right now. So I'm like, well, that would be why it wasn't in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the first so, one was definitely worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but we bought all the feed and everything, which we got barrels, so it's all took care of. Mice can't get in it or nothing, so. Yeah. Enough about me. What about you? Oh, nothing. Uh, just uh, work, and now baseball. Basketball season is over. Baseball? And my it's son. It's a little early for baseball still. He's never played baseball ever, but he's left-handed. Ooh. So it's like they think like left-handed people are like well, if immortal you're, demigods. If, if or you're a pitcher, they're pretty good. But he's never played, if and you're, they yeah. told him they was like, "Oh no, come on, please play, please play." And they're uh, like working with him. Of course, he'll probably end up being like a third or fourth string pitcher, but they're wanting him to pitch. Well, that's why, because he's left-handed. Yeah, and then you can bat left-handed, so yeah. it kind of throws off the pitcher. Which, I mean, he is, he's he's greased lightning fast. Yeah. You know, nobody could even guard him in basketball just because he was so fast. So I told him, I said, you know, at the very least, I said, you'd be a real good base runner, you know, a pinch runner and stuff like that. But it was funny. He went to his first, you know, like tryout slash practice. And, you know, keep in mind, he's never played. All right. I mean, he just knows the basics, swing the bat, yeah. hit the ball, run bases, you know, the basics. So he gets up there and he's trying to swing in the batter's box and stuff and he said that uh, he got home and I asked him how he did. And he's like, oh, it went good. I made the team. Uh, but they told me uh, that I'll probably be, be a, a buncher. Yeah. And I just started laughing. That's what they used to have me do. I played like, ball what? my whole life. And he's like, what? What's so funny? And I said, in other words, they're saying you can't hit. <laughs> yeah. You can bunt it and run really fast. Yeah, if you can outrun the bunt. You're doing something good. Yeah. So, yeah, we're out of basketball and into baseball season now. Yeah, I like So, that's baseball. interesting. You said you got my glove. What kind of glove did you get them? Rawling. Rawling. Yeah. I got a Wilson A2000 for all you baseball players out there. That's <laughs> what dad, dad really loved it. He had one. So, he got me one. Pretty darn good glove. See, I was never a big baseball guy either. I played yeah. softball like in rec leagues and stuff when I was a kid, but I, basketball was always on I my played thing. it ever since T-ball. And then I kind of – I lost – I guess lost lost interest towards high school because, mm. I, mean, I, I mean, I was good, but I wasn't like the best. You wouldn't you know, know Bambino. No. <laughs> and and I was, I was pretty good in the field, you know, playing defense, but – where I had ADHD, it's like he's watching the butterflies out there. Well, trying to watch the ball pitch, <laughs> it's like I I couldn't even see the ball because I mean I could obviously see the ball, but I couldn't see the spin on the ball or nothing because where my mind was just running so fast, 
you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then it's, I was always, you know, once, once they got to where they, you know, you actually had pretty fast pitchers, you know, I, the hitting part, I wasn't that good with anymore, but anyways, so what we got today? Well, today we have, uh, it's actually like a little two-parter. We've touched on this subject here and there briefly and actually we did even touch on it a little bit last week so figured a good deep dive on uh the divine image what that is where it comes from in scripture but then also uh on earth as it is in heaven and how the people of that time you know took that quite literally and how when they built the temple and all these other things that they were mirroring creation you know and and how their thought processes and i think there's a lot of cool little nuggets in there that uh, you might have looked over and the listeners may appreciate i'm sure i looked over it (laughs) or or listened over it listened over it with your audio bible (laughs) i gotta do better i gotta do better well i guess let's just jump into prayer and we'll get started all right Uh, father we thank you for the day thank you for the many blessings that you give us we thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to participate in your kingdom. Uh, we pray for Stephen and his family for a safe trip and uh, a good time once he gets there. Father, we pray, uh, continue to pray for Mike Heiser and his family, that the Holy Spirit just wraps his arms around that entire family and comforts them and comforts Mike. And uh, we just pray that uh, we are your vessel and... Uh, the words coming out of our mouth are, are pleasing to you and hits the ears of those who need to hear it, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, divine image. The first time that we see the divine image is basically right from the beginning. When we go to Genesis chapter 1, and that's in verse 27, is where it says, you know, let us make man in our image you know we've touched on that in different episodes you know the the us and the our being plural language right so i mean which i guess everybody has their own opinions but you know the elohims so we all in this podcast kind of agreed together that god created all the angels and the elohims so therefore, his little divine counsel, which he doesn't, he doesn't need, obviously, because he's God. But it's like he likes playing politics, kinda. Well, he likes the family. I, yeah, that's how I like yeah. to look at. Yeah, it. He likes you know, likes these, and and they're created in God's image. Yes, they're imagers of God in heaven. So therefore, let's create man in our image. Hence, if they're imagers of God, so therefore we would be imagers of God. And it would be kind of like, you know, you say, oh, you've got your dad's eyes. You don't say your dad has your eyes because your dad come first. Yeah. So our image would be because the angels were first, kind of that same concept. And I look at it too like the angels were the image bearers slash representatives of God in heaven 
Right. And we're the imagers representatives on earth. Right. And and we also agree that like on on earth as all of us humans, we have our freedom of choice, which obviously the angels do too. Hence the fallen angels, the devil. They they chose a different path of what God wanted them to to be on obviously. So it's kind of the same as or as on earth as it is in heaven. They, you know, which obviously we don't know much about heaven except what we hear about, like God's throne room and stuff like that. You know, I wonder if they have jeeps up there. You think? They I might. hope. I hope so. We know they got horses, <laughs> right? They do have yeah. horses, but uh, you know, so it's like. They're doing their own thing up there, whatever they're doing. It's kind of like how we are down here. Yeah. And where you see that at, uh, what you uh, referenced was uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. It says, this may sound familiar. It says, uh, this is red letters, the word of Jesus says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And it says, For if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father also forgives you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So once again, you know, the whole theme of on earth as it is in heaven. I got my notes on that. It says, you know, this was the mindset of the Israelites at that time, mirroring images. Uh... You know, also, you know, when they built the tabernacle and the temple, they had this same thing in mind with the creation of Genesis. You know, God creating the earth, he was creating his temple. You know, so uh, that's how the whole commands of God on earth as it is in heaven, when he gave the commandments to them to create this thing, it was basically a call back to the creation of Canada. Right. And that's something I looked over. Well, I guess ago. you could say, you know, because I was kind of torn, you know, was was the garden actually in heaven? Because it said he, he threw, you know, he threw us down. Yeah. So it's kind of like, would the garden kind of been his heaven or his earthly throne area or whatnot? Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know, you yeah, know. I mean, we don't, you know, we don't know if it was a... Yeah, uh, as uh, earth as it is on heaven, you a, know, you know, a place in heaven on God's holy mountain, or yeah. some people think that it was uh, an actual place, you know, on earth. Right. We we really don't know, because you know, like they said, like we talked before, you know, they thought gods lived on the tops of mountains. Yeah, yeah. So that could be the throwing down, because you're coming down off the mountain, or they were somewhat. I mean, it don't really make sense that they were in heaven. But I, w I guess as a just not really thinking like in detail about it, like really thinking about it. We walked, they walked, God walked with them. So they must have been in heaven. Yeah. You know, but, and then that whole Christophany thing. Yeah. And the Ezekiel 28, yeah. you know, it calls out Satan. It says, you know, you were on in, in the, the mountain of God. Right. You know, walked amongst the stones of fire and you were in Eden. You know, so to me, I, I think it was, it was in heaven, the more that I study. 
But right. at first, I thought it was a literal place, you know, like, you know, maybe in the Middle East between the Tigris and Euphrates, between right. the two rivers. We'll, we'll see, in, which they say the Tigris and Euphrates, and they talk about the garden. But once the flood happened, the whole landscape changed. So they're just naming rivers. I mean, it could be over in, it could have been here in America somewhere, two rivers or something. Know, yeah. We just don't, you know. But with this episode, we you know we hope to show you the symbology, the typology of the uh, biblical narrative. You know, especially the way the writers wanted you to, to see it, and also how the original audience perceived it. You know, I love how Judd Burton said in our show. You know, it's a linguistic archaeology. Right. You know, and that's exactly right. You know, it's the study of words, what they mean, and the context and stuff like that. And of course, that's not the most exciting, I guess, archaeology. Yeah, it couldn't but, be. Yeah. If you think about it, when Indiana Jones wasn't out, you know, swinging off branches and yeah. stepping out into cliffs Playing with imaginary with planks and snakes <laughs> and not, you know, having his, his heart webs. ripped out, yeah. he, he was in the library studying, right. you know. Yeah, figuring all the stuff out. Yeah. So I guess in the honor of Stephen. Hey, let's back it up. Let's back it up. Uh, but I love how Timothy Alberino in his book explains the view, you know, of the kingdom of God, you know, as an empire. You know, empires rule over realms. You know, empires has kings. They have princes, uh, priests, lords. lords, you know, sections, uh, lords over sections and armies, captains of armies. You know, this is exactly how the kingdom of God is described in the Bible. You know, one thing kings were said to have had was gardens. You know, Tim Stedman briefly talked about this in the episode that we had him in. And when you mentioned that, you know, that was uh, kind of a talking point that I wanted to bring up, you know. But kings were also considered in the ancient text as gardeners. You know, they you know would tend this garden as a reminder of symbolically tending to his realm and its people. You know, this was to remind this king that they were dependent upon him. Okay, I never knew that. And I thought that was wild in that Tim Stedman episode. You know, he was talking about this, you know, about how over in Australia they have, you know, the, I can't remember what he called it, but the Queen's Garden or something like that. Yeah. And basically how, you know, Australia was a settlement of Britain. And so well, at this garden. cast all their. Yeah, all the prisoners pretty much. Prisoners. Yeah. But how at this garden they have different plants and trees from all the different territories okay. of the kingdom around the world that way when you walked in it was like to represent the, the entire whole, the whole of britain right yeah okay, that makes sense and he compared that to like the garden of eden too and i thought that was a pretty cool idea it'd be kind of like uh you go into say that i mean i've never been to the capital but say it had every state's flag up you know on the wall or something yeah a, you know, representation of all the states that created the union. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So if we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 6 through 8, you know, it says, And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. You know, so verse 28, it goes uh, into dominion. He was, you know, God created this garden, and then he put man in it, and then when you get down to verse 28, he gave dominion to man. So here we see God as the king, 
planting his garden, puts the man in it. But at this point, it says, you know, that he was, was watering the ground. God, God the king, was tending the garden, and Adam was just enjoying the fruits and benefits of it. He was basically a, a resident, and right. God was providing he, for his every need. He's like a child almost. Yeah. The father, you know, tending the garden and looking after the boy. Yeah, so it was like God, you know, had the, the kingly role here. Okay. You know, so, but basically... When God planted this garden, he tended it. You know, we were made lords, basically, to have dominion over it. But he was the king. He provided for every need. Adam didn't have to tend the field, not until the curse. You know, and just like the old saying, heavy, heavy is the head which wears the crown. Right. You know, this is why Mary mistakes Jesus at the resurrection as the gardener in John chapter 20, verse 15. You know, John knew what he was doing right here. The people of that time knew what John was laying down. You know, it has been lost to us. That's why studies like ours are so important. You know, the whole symbology, typology. Because when John was writing this and he wrote, he knew who he was. He was writing this in hindsight. Right. And he said, and Mary mistaked Jesus for the gardener. Because now... Christ was exalted as, you know, king and priest. And he was the one going to be supplying for our every need. He was in the king role. I had first heard that on a, a podcast with Mike Heiser, and that was just like. That's interesting. Yeah, totally yeah. just mind-blowing for See, me. See, I don't even. Where did you say that was at? That is in John chapter 20, verse 15. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman. Why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I will go see him. Mary, Jesus said. So there you go. Yeah, so he subtly put that in there because the people of that time knew that the kings you know, were, were considered and called gardeners. And, and every okay. king had a garden in his, you know, in his, court. Right. You know? Interesting. Yeah, really cool. Whether you're pre-trib or pre-wrath, it's important to dispose of the pretense that expensive insurance is something that you're stuck with. Most people don't shop around for better insurance rates until years after they get their policies. And with the price of a loaf of bread slowly approaching a day's wages, it's important to save where you can. That's why the Better Insurance Agency is here to help with options for home, auto, life, and small business insurance. Visit us online at www.thebetterquote.com or call us at 540-200-8646 today to see about switching to a better insurance company. Currently available only in Virginia and Tennessee. Please note that if you're listening to this commercial after the rapture has taken place, the Better Insurance Agency is probably closed. You know, but there's just so much, you know, to the image and symbolism of image bearing. You know, it's a recurring theme in the New Covenants. You know, let's let's take a look at the, the covenant of Noah. You know, cause so, so first at creation, we see it. Right. Man's given dominion. He's, you know, basically king, the first king and priest. Because as soon as Adam is exalted out of the garden, he does sacrifices and stuff so he's the first king and priest basically 
You know, when Noah gets off the boat, the same blessings are given to him that was given to Adam. Noah was in the image of God. You know, he was now the Lord of this realm, a king and priest like Adam, because the first thing that both men do is offer sacrifices. You know, we see this again in Exodus. Only this time the blessings are conditional on the obedience of the law. With that, they were given dominion over Israel, and that's in Exodus uh, chapter 19, verse 6. You know, outright calls them a nation of priests. You know, we'll, we'll come back to that, but in Exodus chapter 20, and verse 7, do not take the Lord's name in vain. You know, the priests literally had the name on their heads. You know, that's in Exodus chapter 28. You know, they were lords slash representatives of Yahweh, even having his seal or slash signet on their heads. You know, they were commanded to rule well. Right, like we talked before about the using his name in vain, which, you know, most people obviously, you know, don't say GD or whatnot. But you said. Oh, yeah, it's just... Uh, don't take it. Don't be a hypocrite, basically, because he puts gonna, his seal on our head like the right. signet ring that the kings would have. So therefore, right. you're representing him as the king's lord. So if you are ruling unjustly, the people thinks that the king is also unjust. You're representing him. You know? Right. Yep. You said that better than I could. <laughs> I couldn't find my words to say it. <laughs> and what's cool is uh, in John chapter ten, verse thirty-four. He says this outright. He said, I said you are gods. And what he means, you know, you are Elohim. He's referring to the divine image here. He's not saying literally, you know, that you are gods. You know, he's referring to the, the whole divine image thing. You know, that's why in Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 and 6, stresses the harsh penalty for murder. For God made man in his own image. So in sense, by murdering another man, you're murdering another image bearer, so thus you're killing God, essentially. Well, and that still somewhat stands today. You know, if, say, they captured a ship, right? Say We'll just say North Korea, because they're crazy anyways. <laughs> right, so North Korea or somehow... Somalia, Somalia yeah, pirates. Yeah, <laughs> they somehow capture a u.s ship and then just kill everybody that's a declaration of war against the entire united states if obviously our government would look you know it is but it depends obviously on how the government would react to it and it's the like you're saying you know the you kill you kill a human then it says that human must the, the one who did the killing must die also. And it's the same as if, like back in the the ancient times, you know, a messenger brought you a message. It, they were, or even like a delegate, or a... Like movie well, 300. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean... Killing the messenger of the king, keeping yeah, him in well, the pit. Yeah, but I, what I'm getting at, it's like... I can't think of the word that they're called, but say for uh, a representative over in Russia or in in Britain or yeah. whatever, you know, the delegate that's assigned to that country, they 
obviously don't have the same power as the president, but they speak for the president. Yeah, they speak on the behalf of Yeah, it. Yeah, so it'd be the same thing. So I guess in the words of Judd Burton, you know, we're not going to beat a horse that's nigh dead. Yeah. So I guess just in closing we, on this part. We was part, beating it, wasn't we? Oh, yeah, we, we got it pretty good. I just wanted to hit some of the stuff <laughs> that we didn't speak on specifically. Right. And actually kind of tee up this next section. But so, you know, reflecting on the divine image should really, really make us stop and think. You know, we are all kings and queens of our realm. You know, we all have our gardens to tend, our home, our family, our work relationships. So when we read this and actually understand this, it should make us stop and think, you know, hey, are we watering enough? Are we building walls of protection around our garden? Are we running off crows and ravens, keeping them from ravaging our garden? You know, and are we keeping the weeds pulled there's a lot to that oh yes letting letting the little devil weeds get in gotta keep them pulled off keep a healthy yeah healthy garden and i love how uh because if you well it's to that analogy mm -hmm. you let the weeds take over then your garden's dead yeah it strangles them out it does and I like how uh, uh, N.T. Wright said in a lecture he gave, you know, talking about image bearing, and he said basically how it works is it's a mirror. He said, but it's not a mirror pointing upward. That way when God looks down, he sees himself. He said basically it's a inverted, tilted mirror. That way when other humans look at us, they see God. And when God shines down his love and affection to us, it shines out we're of springboarding us. it out of us and onto other people. At least that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yes. But I, I love that analogy, that picture that he painted. I never really had seen it like that before, and it does. It, it's humbling. It, it should be. Make you stop and think, you know, hey, am I, am I being a good gardener? Right. So now I guess to the second section of this on earth as it is in heaven you know we mentioned earlier the lord's prayer in matthew chapter six you know his will is for on earth is to be as it is in heaven where our king yahweh rules perfectly you know i'm going to give some examples that you may have overlooked that the jewish people held to this you know on earth as it is in heaven you know world view but you know, a lot of people overlooked that earth was in creation, was God creating his temple. You know, what does every temple have? It has an image to embody the deity. You know, that's what we just talked about. You know, we were made in his image. You know, we were made in the image of God. So therefore, we are the image in the temple of God, okay. which is earth. You know, he dwells within us. You know, Scripture says, do you not know that the Spirit of God dwells within you? That's why in Exodus, he told them to make no graven image. Because we are the image. That's right. Yeah, because we are that image. So therefore, 
there's no need for another. Exactly. That's exactly right. You know, we were already the image. So the other thing that a temple has is a priest, right? Okay. Well, he also covered that in Exodus. He called Israel a nation of priests, as we discussed earlier. So therefore, when he created earth, he created his temple, earth. And in his temple, he put the image, us, humanity. Okay. And then he put his priests in his temple, which is earth, which was God's chosen people, Israel. Well, I just thought about this. So, which obviously we know history, Israel kind of kept to itself. What if the purpose was for Israel to go out and talk to, preach to the rest of us Gentiles like Jesus did? You know, because he come to correct. So if we are all the imagers, Israel, we're supposed to be the priest to guide the other imagers. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I guess if you if you think about that, you know, which obviously we know they stuck to themselves and they kept rebelling. So God had to punish them back and forth, back and forth. Which God's ultimate plan, you know, God is sovereign. He knew all right. along. When he gave the law, that's why it said, you know, the law was a tutor until Christ came. The ultimate end goal, because humanity's not perfect. By no means. So when you have a human priest, it's going to be flawed. So that's why, you know, it says Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek. You know, we had to have a priest that was holy and righteous and perfect to stand in front of God on our behalf. And we'll get to that later, too, with the whole on earth as it is in heaven okay. theme. So I guess one good example of this is if we go to, uh, so we'll go to Psalms chapter 78 and verse 69. It says, He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. You know, this is proof that the temple and tabernacle was a smaller scale version of God's temple, a.k.a. earth, on earth as it is in heaven. Josephus wrote that the outer court of the tabernacle, which equals earth, the inner court equals the sea. Those were all, those were accessible to all. But the third portion, the holiest of holies, he reserved for God alone and the priests. You know, heaven is inaccessible to man. That's the whole reason for the veil and the separation. You know, the veil of the tabernacle was made to reflect the four elements of the cosmos, earth, air, water, and fire. The curtains of the temple were made up of things that resembled the elements of which the world was made. Since the created world itself was the universal temple which existed before the holy temple of Israel. Likewise, both writers, Philo and Josephus, understand the garments of the high priest to symbolize the cosmos. They even say explicitly that the high priest represents the world and he is a microcosm. Also, the seven lamps on the lampstand are viewed in cosmic symbology. You know, this is true that Philo and Josephus had varying particular interpretations of the symbolism, but it is probable that they both testify to a general cosmology, understanding of the temple healed by mainstream contemporary Jewish thought 
as well as the Old Testament itself. There's just so much, you know, just symbology and all that stuff. And it's, it's it's almost like so you're talking about the temple, the earth and the and the seas, right? Yeah. Or symbolizing that. And it's it's almost to the point to where I, I was thinking about this when you were talking about it. <clears throat> like those Gentiles and even us today who do not believe, we still get judged and, you know, we'd go to hell, obviously. But it's like the temple, like, look what you're looking at. You're looking at, if it's symbolizing the earth and the sea, you're you're staring at it when you look out the window. Hmm. How could you not know? Almost, you know, yeah. to that effect. How could you not know? Yeah. The devil tricked you. Yeah. It says, you know, we traded the truth for yeah, a lie. That's right. Well, in the spirit of Stephen, backing it up once again to yeah, Genesis 1 1. You know, God was creating his temple. You know, this is how the ancient people of the Bible saw this story. When they created the tabernacle and Solomon's temple, echoed the creation account from Genesis. Both happened in six stages and with six speeches from Solomon. Solomon finished the temple, and then he didn't open it for 11 months. You know, once again, echoing Genesis, on the seventh day, God rested. You know, he didn't just kick up his feet and rest. You know, God doesn't need to rest. You know, he dwelled within his creation and his people. So Solomon opened the temple on the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a week-long feast. You know, that is where they celebrate where God dwelled or slash tabernacled with his people. You know, at the end they said a cloud rested, and it was the same Hebrew word used in Genesis in the creation account. You know, a cloud rested on the temple. Hmm. It was signaling creation. Right. I mean, it's just amazing. It's, It's almost like the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters. Yeah. Cause that's what it was because that word you know, rested mean tabernacled right and dwelled interesting and then if you guys want to look that up uh the uh the seven speeches of the tabernacle uh is in exodus 25 1 uh 30 verse 11 and then 17 22 34 and then chapter 31 verse 1 and then 12 shows you the the seven speeches so it was when when they laid it out basically in seven stages and when one stage was complete there was a speech given you know so there was day one right when the second stage was completed there's day two and another speech so it was all echoing the seven days of creation and then when they finished every on both accounts with Solomon and with Moses the the presence of God or the cloud rested just as in creation it's all just I mean really just kind of just mind-blowing stuff when you go back and you just look through that all so now I guess we'll look at uh, you know on earth as it is in heaven as in prophecy because you can see it also in prophecy and it's very predominant in the book of Revelation but where we're modern readers 
we don't understand the symbology we don't know the customs so it's just kind of lost to us so we're going to take a little dive into the book of revelation here okay revelation chapter 21 and verse 12 and 13 Ben, you want to take a crack at that? 21, 12, and 13. Uh, chapter 21, uh, 12, and 13. Verse. The, city, excuse me, the city wall was broad and high, with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels. The names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, yep, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay, so chapter, the verse 12, it said, in my version, which I'm reading out of ESV, you know, it had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed right the gates are arranged just like the tents of israel in, oh, the, yeah. in the wilderness that's right and, and the priests were in the middle exactly and if you look at that and the numbers and everything else i did like a a, a tiktok video on this that was a giant moving cross with the tabernacle in the center so imagine, okay. and and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail with that for those that uh, hadn't uh, heard or seen that. But verse 13, on the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. On earth as it is in heaven. This is just like the Israelite camp in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 2. Four signs aligned with the four cardinal points of the Babylonian zodiac, what some people call the, the Maseroth. But let me elaborate a little bit more on that. You know, Numbers chapter 1 and 2 says that Dan, Nephtali, and Asher would be placed at the north side of the camp. Ephraim, which was Joseph, Manasseh, and Benjamin would be to the west. Reuben, Simeon, and Gad to the south. Judah, Eshkar, and Zebulun would be to the east. Levi would be in the center at the holiest of holies because that was the priesthood. You know, the devil's in the details. you got to look at the numbers. I know a lot of people look over them and glaze over them. They're boring, but they're there because they're important. The north side had 137,600. The west side, 108,100. The south side, 151,400. And the east had 186,400. So the north is long. The south is a little bit longer. East and west are shorter but east is slightly longer. This was a huge cross. You know, Genesis chapter 49, Jacob is on his deathbed giving the blessings to his son. He aligns to each son an animal, which aligns perfectly with a constellation. He describes Judah as a lion. That's the constellation Leo. He describes Reuben as a man carrying water. This is Aquarius. And Ephraim, which was Joseph, as a bull, Taurus and Dan as an eagle, which is the modern-day Scorpio. So not only was the Israelite camp a huge moving cross, 
It aligned perfectly and mirrored the heavens with the constellations and the four points of the Babylonian zodiac. So when it's talking about here in Revelations, it says, you know, there was three tribes on each side. It's calling back to that. So, I mean, that's kind of like some astral prophecy slash on earth as it is in heaven stuff going on there. Might need to throw pictures up up on the oh, Facebook, yeah. Facebook community. Yeah, because I, I made an image and a little TikTok video on that explaining that in more uh, detail and more depth. Now, if we go to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, and made for us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here again, we got the, the call back to the, the kingdom of, of priests. You know, God calls his people to be a nation of priests or divine imagers in his temple, which is earth. And that's Exodus chapter 19 and verse 6. As priests, Christians serve God in worship. A priest in biblical thought is one who meditates the blessings of God to others and who intercedes for the needs of the believing community. You know, according to New Testament, all believers are considered priests and have the privilege of exercising priestly ministry consisting of prayers, praise, thanksgiving, and intercession. And this is uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, uh, Hebrews chapter th 13, verse 15, and also 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. You know, this is an indispensable part of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. You know, but don't miss the two key things attributed to Jesus in this doctology glory and dominion this is an applied rebuttal of the claims that imperial Rome made through its elaborate symbolism ritual and outward pomp John is reminding everyone who is really in charge here so we return to the original Adam mankind and the garden Adam was the image bearer of God in his temple earth he was give, given dominion which is kingship and he resides in the holiest of holies, Eden, the very presence of God. Thus, he is the first king and priest. Mm -hmm. There's just so much of this uh, on earth as it is in heaven uh, in Revelations. But uh, we mentioned uh, Revelation chapter 21, but we hit 12 and 13. If you skip right on down to verse 15, it says, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. You know, all roads are interestingly right angles. The Greek text mentions another 12. The thickness of the walls are 144 cubits, 216 feet, which is 12 to the second power. So that's... Uh, 1,500 miles in length, width, and breadth, which comes out to 12,000 strata. Another 12. Mm. You know, it's a perfect cube, just like the holiest of holies in the tabernacle and temple on earth as it is in heaven. Once again, these were smaller versions or imitations of the real one. The real holiest of holies were God's true presence will truly reside with his people. You know, this, this just shows you that all the things that God gives to us in directions of the temple and all these things, they reflect 
things in heaven and stuff going on in heaven. Revelation 15 and verse 7. Now this was really cool. Now this was talking about the, uh, the bowl judgments and, and stuff like that. Uh, verse 7 it says, And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Mine says temple. Temple. Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's basically what yeah. it is. Because it says, you know, these bowls are the sacrificial bowls used in the sanctuary to carry the ashes and fat of the offerings in the temple on earth. The priests are purifying the temple for the presence of God, getting ready for the, the, the presence of God to, to enter. You know, these plagues are echoes of the plagues of Egypt. But they're also purifying the temple, which is earth, for the presence of God, the coming king. Priests did this at the altar. And a good example you can refer back to is, you know, 1 Kings chapter 7, verse 50, 2 Kings chapter 12, and verse 13. You know, this time they are pouring it on the earth, you know, because heaven is about to come down. Uh when you get to verse 8, it says, you know, no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues and the seven angels were finished. You know, this was, you know, all confirming with the, the notes and stuff that I'd read up above. All the practices that God told his people to do in the earthly temple were seeing them play out in the book of Revelation. If you go to Revelation uh, chapter 8 and verse 3 is another example. You want to take this one, Ben? Then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people, which is Israel, as any offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people and send it up to God from the altar where the, the angel had poured them out. I'm going to read the next one too. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. And thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there were terrible earthquakes. So with verse 3 it says, you know, this is uh, the altar mentioned in uh uh, chapter 8 verse 3 uh, the angel functions as a priest you know and this is his voice that we're hearing you know this may explain the silence in heaven on earth as it is in heaven you know Habak how you say that Habak Habak yeah but chapter 2 verse 20 and Psalm 62 verse 1 700 priests in the temple in Jerusalem labor in complete silence Silence was maintained during the incense offering in the temple for the Talmud. You know, this, as it is here during the heavenly incense offering narrated in verses 3 through 5, the magnificence of God can be proclaimed not through speech, but also and perhaps even more profoundly through silence. Incense was a regular feature on non-Christian, Jewish, and Christian worship. The fragrant odor invoked the worshiper 
a sense of the presence of the deity and was offered up as an expression of thanksgiving and intercession. Uh, Jewish, Jewish usage goes back to the mosaic rituals of the tabernacle and the first and second temple. Here John describes the prayers of the saints drifting over the heavenly sanctuary, the believers of Jesus. The saints are crying out for the vindication, a request that's about to be answered in a really big way. In the, the verse 5, it said, uh, you know, my notes here says, Earlier John drew from Ezekiel chapter 9 with the sealing of the foreheads. Right after this, in Ezekiel 10, he draws hot coals from the throne of God and hurls them into the city. This shows us that this is what was John was referring to. It says that they take this hot coal and throw it and cast it down to earth. It's calling back to Ezekiel 10. The peals of thunder and the flashes of lightning and the earthquakes, you know, are to show judgment and the might of God. And this is also a calling back, you know, to Mount Sinai. There's just uh, there's so much stuff, and and it's just filled in your scripture if you know what to look for. If you go to Hebrews chapter nine and verse twenty-three and twenty-four. Thus it was necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into a holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. You know, once again, on earth as it is in heaven. And also, uh, I kind of mentioned it briefly in uh, another note of mine, but when you get to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 5, you, there you see the menorah. You know, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and the pearls of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which were the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. You know, this, you know, could this be, you know, this is speculation, but the menorah had seven candlesticks coming up. Right. From that, you know, you know, like the temple and tabernacle before the holiest of holies, the presence of God. You know, it's a mirror, mirror image here. Isaiah chapter 11. Let's see here. Chapter 11, verse 2 mentions seven spirits. And these are the ones spoken of in this verse. Or could it be the seven archangels mentioned in the Jewish apocalyptic traditions in First Enoch chapter twenty, verse one through seven, First uh, Enoch chapter nine, verse one, and also chapter forty, verse nine, specifically say that they stand in the presence of God. The Apostle Paul refers to the archangel without mentioning a name in First Thessalonians chapter four and verse sixteen to the quote-unquote rapture, as some people see it. Two archangels from Enoch are mentioned in the Bible. Gabriel, we, we find him in Daniel. Uh, we find him in Luke. Uh, also, Michael is also mentioned in Daniel and Jude and, and uh, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7. So, I mean, it's just this whole uh, on earth as it is in heaven, carbon copies of things in heaven is just all through your Bible. And we could go forever on it, but I just wanted to give some examples and maybe get people to to dig and, and, and find them themselves. Once you know the, the Jewish cultures and the traditions and 
how they conducted things in the tabernacle. You can see it in Revelation and in Ezekiel and stuff like that. It's just all through there. It's pretty wild. Yeah. It is. That'll blow your mind. Definitely makes you think. Yeah. So therefore, go and dig yourself. Yeah. Go dig, get your hands dirty. That's right. We thank you for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. Questions, comments, or future episode ideas, we'd love to hear from you at the dig 423 at gmail.com. If you enjoy our content, don't forget to share, subscribe, and check out our Facebook group at The Dig Podcast. Remember, you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You gotta dig. <laughs>